Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We can come and um, hear from you, from your word, and I just pray that you might just take our hearts and minds. I pray you might help me to speak clearly and, um, Lord, your word, and that you might anoint it and it might go forth and produce fruit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, the, the illustration we had before was about trying to fill our lives with things. And these days, people, um, you ask the average person what they want most out of life, and most people would say they just want happiness, they just want fullness in life. Um, that would be the main answer someone would give, something along those lines. And um, we do that by a variety of ways. I mean, some people like to invest and, you know, they want financial security and they see that's going to give them happiness and fulfilment. Um, some people want a good job that they can enjoy and um, provide for their family and but also provide for their for their needs to to do something constructive um, some people like the latest entertainment having things to entertain them and that gives them satisfaction and fulfillment and and uh, fullness in their lives um, some of us might like personal development or learning just so we can achieve, you know grow in our in our in ourselves and they see that as giving them fulfillment and happiness and joy in life. But we see, just like the container in the children's talk, you can keep filling it up, but in a sense it's never quite full. There's always space there, there's always emptiness there. And um, we want to fill our lives with good things, but what are the things that really matter in life? And is happiness truly attainable? That's the question. Now in, in this book here, this is a famous book by a fellow called Viktor Frankl, and it's called Man's Search for Meaning. And um, he was a Holocaust survivor. He, he went through the Holocaust. His family, his parents and his wife um, ended up with himself in Auschwitz. And they actually ended up in the gas chambers. And he, uh, for some reason, was taken off into another area where there was a um, concentration camp and they had to labour for a long time. But um, after his, he actually survived the Holocaust and he wrote this book about some of the things that um, give meaning in life and why people actually survive horrific situations. And, um, but one of the things he said, which is really interesting, he says regarding happiness and success, um, the more you aim for it, the more you're going to miss it. And so there's a dilemma there, and, and we saw in the Bible reading, which we're going to um, look at in more detail, just why that's the case. The more you pursue it, the more you actually miss it. And so in the passage we saw today, if you turn, want to turn to that in Ecclesiastes, um, page 658, we see a man on a, on a quest, okay, searching for happiness and meaning. And in a sense, all of us are on that quest in our lives. So we might just read from, verse, from chapter 1, verse 12 to 13, just to refresh. So I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to the study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. So the teacher, he calls himself a teacher, but we know it's um, from other passages there and from what scholars tell us at Solomon. Um, he sets off on a quest to explore where happiness and meaning can come from and where it's found under the sun. And the term under the sun is used quite a lot in Ecclesiastes. Um, it's used 29 times. And the term refers to living life in the world as it is in the current state of the world. Um, we know that God created the world perfect and we see in Genesis that man rebelled against God and he was cast out of the, the perfect Garden of Eden and the relationship between God and man was broken but also the relationship with 
people was broken and the relationship with the environment and creation itself was broken. We read in Romans 8, chapter 20, that um, all creation's been subject to futility and groaning. So this is life under the sun. Um, a lot of people read Ecclesiastes and get quite depressed, but you've got to realise he's, he's looking at it from that perspective, from the current world situation. And he also tells us in that section there I just read about his credentials. He's king over Israel, over Jerusalem. And if anyone could have a fulfilled life, you'd think it would be Solomon. Um, he basically had everything. He was very smart. In fact, the Bible tells us that he was the wisest man that ever lived. There was no man who was wiser than Solomon. So he was very smart. He was very powerful. Um, Jerusalem and Israel at that time was quite peaceful. And the nations were actually coming to Solomon to you know, pay respects to him. So he's very powerful, very smart, and very rich. And um, so he had the credentials to pursue the quest for what the true meaning and real um, fulfilment in life is all about. So there's three things here that we see um, that, that Solomon sought to, to get meaning in his life. And they're mentioned, um, first one there is in verse 16 to 18 of chapter 1. He says, I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much wisdom and knowledge. So he's pursuing wisdom and knowledge in education. So here we see the smartest man who's ever lived, uh, smarter than Socrates, smarter than Stephen Hawkins, anyone you can think about uh, who's smart, making the point that he can't find satisfaction in, in wisdom and learning. And these days we see there's an explosion of knowledge. I mean, I'm just baffled by the internet, how much information. I mean, whenever the kids come and ask me for help with homework, I just say two words, Google it. <laughs> That's all you need to say, and you can find anything on Google these days, although some of it is misleading. But there's an there's a explosion on um, knowledge. We can just find out about anything at any time now with the internet. So we see... And I've got a confession to make too. I'm a documentary junkie. I love documentaries. I like listening to the current affairs and um, the proper current affairs, not the ones on Channel 9 and 7. Um, you know, programs like Four Corners. And there's a dilemma there, and we'll see that in the passage as well, that the more you know about, the more wisdom you have and the more you know about the world situation, um, the more serious you see the world situation is and you actually quite, get quite depressed about it. Um, and it, it seems as the, though these problems aren't getting any better, even with knowledge, technology, you know, wise people. It's just, it seems to be going on a downhill spiral. So, um, and the more we find out about the universe, the more we find out how insignificant we are. Um, the more we know about diets and exercise, you know, um, obesity rates are just going through the roof. So really knowledge and wisdom in itself does not give us fulfilment in life. And, in fact, there's a dilemma there. And the teacher says it's futile. Um, increasing knowledge and wisdom increases our sense of meaninglessness in the passage here. Okay, so what else does he list? So the first one was wisdom. second one, pleasures. And we see six types of pleasures listed here from, verse, from chapter 2, verse 2. Um, I'm not going to read every single line of the passage. I'll just pick the verses because we've already read through it. But chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Laughter. I said he's foolish, and what does pleasure accomplish? I, I tried cheering myself with wine, embracing folly. So he, he, he talks about laughter, humour. Um, 
It's a light-hearted approach to life he's referring to there. And these days there's an insatiable appetite for comedy and for entertainment and things like that. You see that in the sitcoms. You see it in the, um, you know, even talkback radio now is shifting from news and things like that to just people ringing up and making pranks. And, um, and even I notice now, like Channel 10's got a, a, a program which is a current affair program, but the panel is made up of comedians. You think, why is that? Why would you need comedians on a current affair program? What, what's the state of society now that we need humour and comedy to be able to digest, you know, facts? Um, and it's really interesting watching them when there's been a disaster like in Boston or somewhere like that. You just see they don't quite know how to handle it, but it's, it's as if they're trying to filter the news to make it more palatable for us. And we sit there and we watch it and think, yeah, yeah, um, okay, what's the next story? So it's that desire for humour, for laughter, um, for satisfaction in life. And we see here that Solomon had the same issue. You know, he, he tried it, but um, in the end it just leaves you... If you, leave, if you use it as an escape... It just leaves you empty and um, leaves life meaningless and futile. The second one he talks about there is uh, wine. Now, it's a touchy point for some people because I know some people like, like a little bit of wine with food. And it's not talking about excessive wine here. When he talks about it in verse 3, he says, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me. So he's not out there getting sloshed. Um, it's just a social drink, you know, having with friends, sitting there, having you know, conversation, with people, it's not anything that's um, excessive. And but even in that, if that's by itself a means for us to get satisfaction and uh, meaning in our lives, then it's futile. You know, it's not going to give that satisfaction. It might give us temporary, you know, um, relief and some nice, you know, social interaction. But at the end, it doesn't give us satisfaction. The third um, endeavour he tries are projects, and this is um, found on. In verse 4 and 6 to 6, he says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them, reservoirs, fruit groves, flourishing trees. So here we have the, um, it's like um, Burke's backyard and house and garden all on steroids. He's built these magnificent houses, um, structures, temples. We know about the temple in Jerusalem, how magnificent, ma- magnificent it was. Um, Magnificent gardens, and it's known in history, you know, that the gardens that Solomon um, designed and constructed, how magnificent they were. And it does give us a sense of achievement when we do things like that. You know, a lot of us like, I like just going outside and doing, you know, clipping the tomatoes and doing things like that, picking some figs off the fig tree, you know, doing some construction work in the house, making things nice. But again, if that's all we have, you know, in our lives and it's, at the end of the day, it, it, it loses satisfaction and um, it doesn't bring meaning. So we've looked at humour, wine, projects. The next one in verse, 20, in verse 7 to 8, he talks about the possessions. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and treasures and, of kings and provinces, um, men and women singers. So he's got a lot of possessions here. Um, Jerusalem was known to be very rich when Solomon was king. In fact, silver and gold became as common as stones. Some of the references in Kings talk about that, that possessions in terms of Solomon's um, empire were just quite, you know, you, you couldn't count it. But this too, he says, is, is um, meaninglessness if you, that's all you have. 
and it doesn't bring you happiness. I got a quote from one of the world's richest men back a couple of years back, um, John Rockefeller, and he was asked, "How much money is enough?" Okay, so he's very rich, got billions probably in those days. Um, in, asked the question, "How much money is enough?" And his answer was, "Just a little more." So even though he had so much, he just wanted a little bit more, and that would be enough for him. And I think we're in the same boat too, because we always accumulate. Well, we, if we're working and we're um, building investments and things like that, we are accumulating wealth. But where, where is enough enough? Where do we need? What do we need to do to have enough to to be happy and to get fulfilment? And Solomon says here, well, you know, possessions doesn't bring you happiness, doesn't bring you meaning into your life, doesn't bring you fulfilment. Okay, so that's the fifth one is music. We read that in uh, verse eight. I must. Silver and gold for myself, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers. Now I know most of us got iPads, iPods these days. You can listen to music, and on the train, everyone's listening to something. Um, but Solomon had an instant band there with him, following around. Like he wanted music, he just flick his fingers, and he'd have music. He wouldn't need an iPod, or he wouldn't go and have to visit a concert. So I could imagine having my favourite band, you know, this there on my beck and call. Um, but he, he had music any time he wanted it. And, but he says at the end of the day that didn't bring him happiness. It didn't bring him meaning in his life. And the last one there he mentions is um, in verse 8 also, is uh, sexual pleasures, I guess you can call them. I amassed silver and gold for myself and treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart or the heart of man. Now, we read elsewhere in Scripture that Solomon actually had, ended up having 700 wives and 300 um, concubines. And you'd think that um, that would be enough to end his search for, for meaning and fulfilment in his life, but in fact it was the opposite. It actually ended his close relationship with God, and we read that in Kings, that um, a lot of these the women that he um, spent time with actually drew him towards their own gods and he ended up losing that close relationship he had with God at the end there. Um, so it left him empty. It left him without meaning, even though he, could, he had all that. And these days, if, if the average Australian man read that, you'd think, well, this guy's had it made, but it's not true. It's, a, it's an illusion. Okay, so they're the six pleasures, I guess, that are summarised in here. So we looked at wisdom, we looked at the, the pleasures... And thirdly, um, the teacher tries, now he turns his attention to work. And we're going to look at um, the passage there in uh, chapter 2, verse 18. He gives two reasons for the futility of of seeking work as fulfilment in your life. Um, The first one is, from verse 18 to 20, is you can't take it with you. You can work hard, but at the end of the day, when you're old and you, you know, that's it for your life, you can't take all the accomplishments of your work with you. And the second reason he gives is in verse 21 to 23 there, is you can't control it once, it's, once you're gone. You don't know what others are going to do with the things that you've achieved and the, the wealth that you've left behind. And we see workaholism is an issue today too, and I notice at work, and I sometimes have that temptation to stay around and you know, skip sort of coming home early because I've just got to finish something off. But some people skip holidays, they'll you know, um, completely neglect their families 
just so they can achieve their, their work commitments. Um, and it's not because generally they need extra money, it's just because they need to, to finish something off. Um, I know some people you know, need that extra cash, they do a bit of overtime just to pay off some of the bills, but at the end of the day, you know, when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to say, I wish I spent more time in the office or I wish I completed, you know, this particular task. You know, that's, that's not the important thing of life. And, and also, when money is left behind, in many cases, if we see there's family squabbles about who's going to be getting the, the money. Um, and a lot of time, as the writer of the Ecclesiastes says, it's squandered. You know, you might leave money behind, but it gets squandered. And we see that a lot with some of the, the rich people where... Um, you know, the, the celebrities when they die and their children take over the money and they just squander that money. So this is the dilemma that the, that the writer has here, Solomon has here, is that you can work hard all your life and toil, but at the end of the day, you can't take it with you and what's left behind, in many cases, gets squandered. Now, it goes on later to talk about work in Ecclesiastes, and that's actually a good thing too. It's a gift from God, so I'm not saying work is bad. It is a gift from God in verse 10 and also in uh, verse 24. But our significance can't be found in our work. That's the key message there. It can't be found in our work, work alone. Okay, so we're taking on a quest for meaning and happiness and the teacher looks for meaning in wisdom and education, in pleasures, which he didn't deny himself anything, and also in work. So what's the result of that quest? And we can see that in um, throughout the the chapter, but also in verse 17, it sort of summarises it. In verse 17, chapter 2 there, he says, So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So he ended up hating life. So rather than bring fulfilment, happiness, satisfaction, all these pursuits actually brought emptiness and frustration. So he ends up being quite bitter, actually. Um, and this is a conclusion from someone who had it all. So the key thing here is he hated life under the sun. And this is what the context of this whole passage is. It's life in the world as it is, in a sense, in the absence of God. Um, that's what he didn't like. And the dilemma is it's a trap. Uh, the more you pursue meaning the more you actually, it eludes you and you get more and more frustrated. Um, so that seems to be the, the flavour of what he's saying there. And there's a concept in economics, I did sort of three months of economics in high school and then I dropped out, but the law of diminishing returns, which is the more you, you, know, you seek after something, you try to get something out, um, get resources out of it, um, or get something out of resources, the less you actually can get, get out of it. I think something along those lines. But here there's... There is a law of diminishing returns in, in wisdom because the more you, you realise you know, how things are and the, the more you realise how insignificant you are and how meaningless things are, um, the more pleasure you have, the less you get out of it. So, you know, with 700 wives and 300 concubines, I mean, he just got frustrated. So it's, it's a diminishing return. And even in, in, with work, the more we accumulate and the more, you know, the more we get together of wealth, sometimes the more frustrated we get on how to you know, distribute it and spend it and things like that. So... There is a, I'm not sure if dilemma is the right word. There's probably another word there somewhere. I should Google it. Um, but Eric Hoffer, who's an American philosopher, puts it this way. He says, the search for happiness and meaning is one of the chief sources of unhappiness. So it's, 
It's frustrating, and this is what Solomon experienced, the frustration of trying to seek after meaning and happiness on its own. So life under the sun is tough, but there is an element of hope, and we read that in um, verse 24 and 26. The teacher says, A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? So what does it mean by... And it goes on, so I'll keep reading. To the man who pleases God, to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, it's chasing after the wind. So we see here, um, there is enjoyment actually under the sun. You know, God, good things do come from God. Um, eating, working, studying can be meaningful when it's done with God's blessing. And this is where there's a bit of a twist in this passage here. It brings not necessarily under the sun perspective of life, but more of above the sun perspective of life from God's perspective. Um, so these things are good, but what spoils them is when God is absent from them. That's what spoils life. When God is absent from wisdom, from education, from the pleasures, uh, from work, then we find that they start to spoil. So there is an element of happiness. Um, I just want to sort of contrast here David with David, with Solomon's father, with Solomon. And in... Psalm chapter 16. Um, there's a really interesting passage there that, that looks at... Um, now, Solomon said that life is a trap, you know, that um, the search for meaning is trapped. David was actually what was trapped, his father. He was trapped by soldiers. He was driven out of um, his home and for years he was being chased around by people that wanted to kill him. So that's what a trap is, you know. That's what, that's what sort of trying to get away from someone that's trying to cause you harm there. But he's, in chapter 16 and verse 11 of um, Psalm 16, we see that David had a relationship with God. He was, even though he was trapped in this situation, he was actually walking around free. And we read in other parts of Psalms where, I will walk around in freedom for I have sought your precepts, he says in Psalm 119. So he was content in his relationship with God. And I think this is where the difference is. Contentment is something which only comes from God. And we see that David in a situation, in circumstances which the average person would think was not contentment. You know, he's, he was trapped. People were after his life. Um, he took refuge in caves. He didn't have food, drink, water, all those pleasures. This is what he says, okay? And he says, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Okay, he's seeking after the presence of God, and that's what gives him contentment and satisfaction, the eternal pleasures at God's right hand. And elsewhere in the Psalms, we read how content and satisfied David is in taking refuge in God. So there's a bit of a contrast here between father and son. Um, it's the presence of God in our lives that actually gives us fulfilment, joy, and eternal pleasures. And you know, Solomon sought the temporary pleasures, but it's the eternal ones that really keep us going. And, and eternal pleasures aren't something we wait for when we die, by the way. The, the Bible talks about us actually having the Spirit of God now and eternal life being part of knowing what Je who Jesus is and, 
Knowing Jesus is eternal life. So we actually experience parts of that eternity right now on earth. So wisdom, knowledge and joy, these are gifts from God. And notice it's to those who please God. We go back to chapter 2, verse 24 of Ecclesiastes. It's to those who please God. But we know in Scripture that no one really can please God. All of us um, have sinned. And the Bible tells us there is no one good. There is no one who pleases God. In fact, even the good things we do can be like filthy rags in God's sight. So, I mean, how can God reward those that please him if really no one can please God? What does it mean by pleasing God? Well, we know one person who did please God, and that was Jesus. He was the perfect and sinless sacrifice for us, and we're going to hear a bit about it later during communion. Um, He obeyed God perfectly. And the New Testament tells us many times that the Father, God, was pleased with his Son. God was pleased with Jesus. So if God is pleased with Jesus but he's not pleased with us, then how does that work? How can God be pleased with us and give us joy, wisdom and and fulfilment in our lives? This is where we need to go. And the New Testament is full of it, but I've just picked one passage in the New Testament. That's the one that Laura read for us in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. And Paul says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I feel in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, And what is this mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so God is pleased with Jesus completely. The mystery of the gospel is that the presence of Jesus actually is in our lives and it gives us hope. So the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So hope and meaningless are opposites. Christ gives us hope and gives us meaning in our lives because he actually indwells in our lives once we become a child of, of God. Jesus comes and indwells in, in our lives. And we're promised that in Scripture, that his spirit will dwell in us. So if God is pleased with Jesus and Jesus lives in us, um, then in a sense, God, when we do good things, it's not because we're doing good things, it's because Jesus' life is actually in us. He gives us his spirit to live out the good things in life um, and to, to do good works. So in a sense, I mean, Ecclesiastes isn't directly talking about that, but it says that for those that please God, he does give wisdom um, he does give knowledge, and you know, he does give joy. And it's interesting because Jesus is, um, in many places in Scripture, called the, the wisdom of God. Um, so those who please God, as it says in Ecclesiastes, get wisdom. So wisdom is, Jesus is the wisdom of God, and he dwells in us. Um, for those who please God, God gives knowledge. You know, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus contains the knowledge of God. He is the truth. In, in person, and he indwells us. Um, you know, Solomon says, well, God will give you joy if you please him. Well, Jesus said to his disciples, I will give you real joy, you know, joy that overflows. So those three things, wisdom, knowledge, and joy, come with Jesus and is, is part of our lives when we ask him to, when we, we ask him to forgive our sins and he comes and indwells us. 
So Jesus' presence in our lives is what gives us true meaning, fulfilment and real joy. And if we seek happiness under the sun, we're not going to find it. Um, We're not going to find contentment. We need to take an above-the-sun perspective on life. So if you don't know him today, then... um, and you're experiencing that lack of meaning in your life, then turn to Jesus and look to him for forgiveness of sins because we all have a problem with sin in our lives and that's what really is the issue why we don't have meaning. It's because of sin in our life. So we need to deal with that. We're going to have communion soon, so um, listen and watch to what's going on there because in that it talks about what Jesus actually did for us and why God can um, take what... You know, is in our lives all the mess, the sin, and take it away and give us the righteousness of Jesus to come and indwell us. So pay attention to that. And for those who, who know the Lord but you're finding that there's meaninglessness in your life for some reason, then just try to take it above the sun view of, of, of things. Have a perspective where, well, Christ is in us and we have all these things. Um, you know, work is fine in life and having, you know, sort of music and and enjoying people's company and working and, you know, even to some extent accumulating wealth is, is good, provided we do it with God present and we do it for the glory of God. All things work to his glory, so um, we please him. And that's what we need to think about is how we, what perspective we take, whether it's above the sun perspective or under the sun perspective. Okay, so... Coming back to our container illustration before, we can continually fill it, but is it ever quite full? We know that it can only be full when God makes his presence known in our lives. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you promise that, Lord, if we turn to you, you'll you will look to us, Lord, and you'll, um, we thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we pray that we might deal with those issues in our lives because we know, we know Lord, they're the things that are preventing us from um, having fulfilled life, from being content. We pray, Lord, that we might not um, take the approach where it's only the things of this world are what matters, but, Lord, we pray that you might give us an eternal perspective on life and to... Give us a true desire, Lord, to seek you and to seek the pleasures that you, you provide in, in eternity. So we, we pray this morning, Lord, that you might just help us to consider these things that we've heard. And, Father, we pray that we might apply what we learn into our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.